Hi, everybody. Thank you for spending time with the Player Engaged podcast. Your engagement and feedback are deeply appreciated. We invite you to connect with us on LinkedIn. You can look for Player Engaged. You can also reach out to me directly, Greg Posner. For further insights, please visit playerengaged.com. Also, if you do enjoy this podcast and you're getting some good information from it, please like it, share it, tell a friend, tell anyone. We really appreciate that. And we want to make sure you're always up to date. So make sure you click that subscribe button. Uh, And I hope you enjoy this next episode. Thanks for listening. Welcome to the Player Engage podcast, where we dive into the biggest challenges, technologies, trends, and best practices for creating unforgettable player experiences. Player Engage is brought to you as a collaboration between Keyword Studios and HelpShift. Here is your host, Greg Posner. Hey, everybody. Welcome back to the Player Engage podcast, where we dive into the game design and the joy of playing games. I'm your host, Greg, and today we're joined by someone who made a significant mark in the gaming world. He's known for his creative touch that brings game to life and his dedication to making games accessible for everyone and his belief in the joy of just making games. Let's welcome senior game designer at Outright Games and former assistant game director at TT Games, Dan McCready. Dan, thank you so much for joining me today. I'm really excited about this conversation. Is there anything else you'd like to say about yourself? No, as I say, I think that was a great intro. Uh, pleasure to be here, obviously, to kind of share some experiences and uh, the things I'm kind of working on currently. So before, so people understand how my podcast kind of works, before I actually jump onto the podcast with my guests, we, we talked beforehand, and I was really excited to talk to Dan because uh, Outright Games, which may, many of you may know, many of you may not know, uh, does a lot of children's games. And my son, who is now five, learned how to play games by playing the Paw Patrol uh, on a role game. And I was really excited because it taught him a great job at kind of how to do a side-scrolling game because at first you try and do a 3D game and realize kids don't know how to use all the sticks appropriately. So I'm really curious then, like, I guess, first of all, before we jump into that, what got you into the whole idea of gaming and and what brought you to this path? Wow. Yeah, so um, I kind of looked recently, I've been working in the games industry now close to 20 years so um it's definitely kind of flown by i would say obviously um you know getting started i think my journey began as a child as well so um i w- i first experienced kind of games with my nintendo entertainment system so obviously you know like a lot of people really happy at christmas had a console which was kind of blown away by and i think one of my earliest gamer memories would be super mario brothers 3 um and i think it really just sparked kind of an intrigue i had and a curiosity with games and um wanting to kind of find out more so i actually kind of i don't know i i i wouldn't say obsessed over it but maybe slightly so i was looking at the box art i was looking at kind of imagery there well this level isn't in in the game you know why not so it kind of sparked that kind of a, a desire to kind of find out more ask why so I remember writing to Nintendo and saying, well, why is this image not in the game? And then they explained about, well, it's in beta and things change. And yeah, (laughs) here I am now. So, yeah. Heck of a curiosity. And it's awesome that you got a response, right? I I mean, my my (laughs) memories are at the same time as NES. I remember playing Dr. Mario. Um, And and it's just a great kind of way to get into gaming. Did you go to university with the idea that you want to be working in gaming? Actually, when I was kind of in, in, in college, um, I always had that kind of passion for games still. Um, I didn't really know it was a viable kind of career path. Probably like, I think it's changed a bit more now because obviously I think things have become a bit more accessible to different paths into the games industry. Um, but it was actually, when I was in college, I was speaking to someone there and she was like, oh, well, I used to be a games tester. And I think immediately when I heard that, it's like, okay, how how did you become a game assessor? How did you um, find that kind of path? And I think for me, my path in the industry was starting in uh, as a game tester and then having further kind of, I guess, kind of sparks and inspiration from finding out a bit more about game development, a bit more about how games were put together. So yeah, that was my end essentially. So now you're a senior game designer. Can you explain at least at Outright Games, what does the role of a senior game designer do? Yeah, it's a great question. I think obviously the, the roles can kind of vary from company to company. So um, my kind of current role at Outright, we're, we're kind of family-friendly um, video games publisher. We focus on kind of from you know preschool age, essentially. So one of the roles, uh, well, there's, there's a few different ones, but 
um, looking at games from an early conceptual stage, working with kind of developers and, and licensors to kind of bring those experience and games to life. So it's essentially from the, the initial pitch of the game right the way through to development and release. And obviously along the way, we kind of look at the kind of um, playtesting data. We'll kind of play a lot ourselves. We'll work to kind of pass on experience and, and tips where we can and kind of look to kind of guide that. Um, process as well so yeah that that's kind of in a nutshell obviously um there's a lot of other kind of um departments involved with it i have a lot of colleagues as well and, and from the creative side where we kind of um draw inspiration from each other kind of pass on our kind of perspective to the game as well so when you kind of take a look at your skill set, right? What skill would it would it be? I mean, coding or, or graphic design or just project management? Like, what what skill sets do you think you kind of tap into the most in the current role? My kind of own experience with design, obviously, kind of um, coming from QA, going into kind of TT and various other companies as well. I think I, I would kind of classify myself as a, a generalist designer, really. So um, the kind of specialization would be kids games obviously um but i I would say it is that kind of the the lens i look at things through at least is um user experience and certainly accessibility as well for me there's a there's a level of empathy with the player as well i always try to kind of envision how someone's going to experience a game what i kind of want to kind of i guess get a player to experience as well i'm mindful of but I would say it's definitely a bit of everything and um, always um, maintain that kind of collaboration with other departments and that curiosity, I guess. That's awesome because, you know, when I when I was growing up, and I'm sure other people as well, like you think getting into game gaming, it, it means coding or it means doing something like that, the ones and zeros and, and just whatever, right? Mm. And, and I remember going to school for that and just doing terribly at it. And, and it's fascinating that once you're in the industry, right, I guess like you were talking about, it's more accessible and people have more visibility. Like you don't need to know how to code necessarily. I mean, sure, it helps a lot, but like you don't need to know how to code to get into this industry. And I think it's, uh, it's kind of an enlightening, like light bulb moment for me. Like, oh, wow, there's a whole lot of things going on in the back end there. Absolutely. I think, you know, the games industry more than any previous times is kind of a role for everyone. And I kind of see um, certainly Maybe we can kind of talk about it later, but I think that it is very encouraging that there's skills that you can learn from other industries and kind of apply to the, the games industry as well. I mean, even kind of, um, obviously the code side can maybe put people off, but there's a lot of kind of tools now where you can kind of maybe see, maybe not the, the Norton Devos, but kind of how things are put together in a kind of visual way. And obviously at, at different levels where there's obviously scripting. And I think the thing for me, obviously I've, I've done a bit of scripting in my career and I'm very much a person that trial and error. So I'll, I'll play around for a bit and say, okay, that kind of works, that doesn't. And then maybe a coder will look at it and go, what on earth is this? But yeah, I think that is the key thing really. It, it, it comes from kind of, you know, just, just having a bit of kind of, um, experimentation really seeing what kind of things you know interest you what kind Mm -hmm. of paths there are as well so it's interesting right because you're working with with games that are are made for kids right and and i don't know if you come into this career thinking like all right i want to make the next doom i want to make the next right and then you start working at tt games which for those who are listening that may not be familiar with tt games they make all the lego games for the most part that are out there and they're Phenomenal. I remember back to the 360 days they were coming out and it seemed like every few months a new Lego game would come out and be rated an even higher rating than the next one. And one of the things you and I spoke about, I'd love to talk about, is just a kind of the fatigue, right? Like you hear about Bungie getting sick of making Halo. You get you hear of uh, whoever makes Call of Duty. I can't think of the, the studio in the back end, right? Like you think of you hear them getting sick of making Call of Duty, right? Like Lego was changing the subject, whether it be the Skywalker Chronicles or whatever, or my son's playing supervillains now or superheroes, right? Like, does that same fatigue exist if you're changing the subject that you're creating from? 
I think, it, again, I certainly can't speak for, for everyone at TC. I can only kind of look to um, re- reflect on my kind of experiences, obviously. But I was always quite kind of, I guess, I saw each game as a challenge in terms of how best re- how best to tell the story of the IP, mm-hmm. how best to kind of really embrace what the fans wanted for sure, to build on the strengths of the past, essentially. And have that as a kind of foundational point. I, I kind of look at games like, obviously, you, you mentioned kind of superhero games. I mean, I think a, a big part of it was I, I would look at these amazing games and, well, how do you improve on those? But also, how do you kind of maintain the elements that resonate resonated with fans? Mm-hmm. And what were those elements? You know, and it's, it's quite, obviously, there's there's a subjective side to it as well. But it's always quite a tricky kind of balance to make what do you change what do you kind of refine and what new things you add so i was always quite kind of um excited for that challenge and i think getting into the kind of mindset of a fan a fan of the kind of subject material as well it was always really exciting and the sort of things that would push me as a designer as well so for example on some games i'd be more focused on the level design side of things obviously we, we call it like a a paper design so kind of planning out how the level would flow on a, on another game it might be more kind of well how the hints are presented to the player how the rewards kind of presented like the character unlocks again another massive part of those games again from my perspective i think there was even though there was kind of a lot of commonalities i was always fa- trying to think well how can we make sure everyone has a great experience playing these games so um but yeah it's i think definitely just if you have a successful kind of game it is always kind of like well maybe the fans want more of the same but also you have to kind of i guess be mindful you know you also want to kind of present a new experience as well so it's definitely a fine balance but it's i saw it as an exciting challenge to kind of you know undertake (laughs) So there's this two ways to look at it, right? And I find it fascinating, right? You kind of mentioned, well, again, I'm going to bring Call of Duty up again. I'm sorry, right? Everyone gets mad that they release every year, right? And, and do they make a ton of updates? No, but do they really want a ton of updates? If you're on the outside looking in, you're going to, you're going to say, keep it the same, just give me more maps. So from, we'll, we'll compare kind of TT to Outright Games, right? TT was making Legos with different kind of characters. So there was some iteration there. I see clear iteration from game to game for outright, right? Again, my son played Paw Patrol, right? So on a roll, had the side scrolling. The next one introduced 3D elements. The one after that started introducing open world. And it was this really cool, give the fans more of what they like, but iterate and grow up with them. And, you know, I'm going to kind of back up because I asked a question, but didn't ask it, right? It was like, when you're creating these games, when you when you graduate from college and you want to go into the game industry, are you thinking about making kids games? And probably not. And I'm sure your mindset has changed, but like you're making these accessibility type of games, right? A lot of people think of accessibility about people with color blindness. Maybe they're deaf, maybe, right? But your accessibility is for children, right? And you got to say, all right, how is a kid going to adapt to this game? How are they going to know to pull this rope or which which button to press to activate the right pups uh like how does your mindset i don't know how to say this without saying like resonate with a child when you're building this game to see it through their lens again really good question i think for me it's kind of come well I'm, i'm very kind of privileged in the sense that like you know i've worked on a lot of um children focused games in the past but it's something you always have to kind of be mindful of and i think when it comes to kind of games I don't think anyone could kind of stand around and say, well, I love every single game. And maybe I'm one of those people, actually, because I, I, I love variety in games. I love trying new things. I love seeing what's out there. But I think when I was a, a games tester, there was there was maybe a few games where it's like, well, I don't particularly find this fun. I don't like this. Name and no names. But um, I think it was important to kind of think, well, it was actually someone I worked with at the time said, "Well, this will bring a this game will bring a, a smile to a child's face." I'm like, "Yeah, it, it will." And I think that's maybe something I always try and be mindful of. It, it's it's thinking again. I think a lot of designers kind of think this way, where it's like, "Well, I might not be. Um, it might not be my 
ideal uh, genre or my ideal game but you you put yourself in that mindset in that kind of you know space essentially and i think for me i've never really struggled to kind of maybe i'm a child at heart as well (laughs) maybe because i think you know i remember what games meant to me when i was growing up again looking at kind of mario looking at i think even as a tester you know making a simple game is incredibly challenging i would say and again i think the term simple is maybe a bit kind of not not mis- I think when when it when it boils down to it, there's a there's a level of empathy, there's a level of kind of um, experience, and again we tap into kind of other perspectives and voices as well with these games to kind of really think well, what is it that a player wants? What is it that a fan wants? And and going back to kind of maybe before I was kind of a dad, for example, before I kind of, you know, did fully focus on what that was, seeing someone play one of the levels you've worked on or one of the games that you've, you've been on, it, it's very revealing. And children are very honest. I think players are very honest, even without saying things. So, you know, I think if you see someone play, if you really focus, things that maybe are apparent to me as a designer aren't apparent to the kind of player immediately. So, um, yeah, there's a lot of factors involved. I think, you know, it is something that I, I try and look at it that a game should kind of aspire to stand on its own merits, right? So if you have a an environment in the game, it, it should it should be immediately obvious to, to people. But also you want players to sense that, oh, I've solved something or I've kind of achieved something as well. So. Yeah, I think yeah. There's, there's a multitude of factors in, involved, really, in, in getting I, into that headspace. I love that. I, I think, you know, I, I think it's funny because kids are brutally honest, right? For better yes. or for worse, K- kids story. kids don't know the difference. Right, and it's probably great feedback to get because some people might be uh, intimidated Patrol, to give that type of feedback when a kid doesn't even second-guess it. And, and a lot of those design principles really, I mean, all the games we talked about, right? And people just loved it. I think was it Elden Ring they were comparing it to, basically on the highest scoring game on Metacritic or something like that. And first of all, does energy like that just fuel like get people excited at the company like were you like oh my god what's happening why is peppa pig catching so much steam here absolutely i, I think from my perspective i think seeing fans resonate with something is always what i think what i aspire for as a designer and, and a, a kind of creator and i think certainly kind of outright we want to kind of work with all global ips that kind of speak to children and the families i, I think seeing the kind of reaction to peppa i think i didn't look at the kind of obviously the initial game but i think when i looked at kind of world adventures i was kind of when i played it for the first time i'm like okay it just looks like the show and i think that was so so powerful as kind of you know you're not breaking the immersion from from a fan and i think one of the first things we did and the second one was you jump in the muddy puddle which is amazing and i think you know the internet's going to be the internet aren't they you know they're going to have a reaction certain things will kind of obviously take off and and resonate and you know i i would love obviously all games i will to be experienced by as many people as possible as many different audiences um and that is something that i think with pepper certainly um my takeaway from them is just seeing parents play in co-op with the children and then also being able to kind of let them discover and play on their own which is is what kind of excited me it's really funny i I, i've played peppa pig right i i liked the game i I can't tell you i had the same reaction as reddit but to your point it looked exactly like peppa pig it was just like wow this i mean i've it's an animated show, right? But like, it, it just nailed it. It just felt like the experience from within Peppa Pig. I was just like, it's nailed. I mean, Paw Patrol yeah. does a good job too, but it's not the same as being immersed by uh, Peppa Pig. But um, I'm going to take a quick timeout here because in the middle of the podcast, I like to do like a spitfire round. I'm going to throw some okay. questions at you. Uh, simple questions. Just give me your first answer, all right? Uh, what did you have for breakfast? Oh, um, sausage muffin. <laughs> nice. Uh, if you were to go to a bar, what drink would you order? It's a very good one. Um, I think Guinness Zero. I'd probably go. If uh, what's your dream vacation? Oh, 
let's have a think. Um, a, a trip away with the family, uh, camping probably. Somewhere. Camping. <laughs> you you like to be with your family. I, I want to get away from my family. <laughs> What's the last book that you read? It was a history book. I'm just trying to think what it is now. What was it called? <laughs> yeah, <laughs> can't remember. The name of it. <laughs> you know, I asked this question, and I'm just thinking to myself, I don't even know the last book I read. Why would I ask this question to people? Luckily, I'm not being asked the questions. Uh, the last question, I, it's a two-part question, this one, right? This is special for you, Dan. Uh, a, what's the last game that you played, and what's the game that you're most likely to pe- play that is your kids' games when they go to bed? Oh, that, that's a really good question. Um, I think the, the last game I've kind of played is um, Last Faith, so I'm playing that on a Steam Deck at the moment. And I think a, a game that I'd kind of, you know, love to play with kids is... Um, and I think in co-op really a, a nice outright game, uh, which is can trust be um, kid friendly. But yeah, I, I think anything that um, all our family can kind of experience together and not fight over. <laughs> Fighting is a tough one. I, I asked Dan that question specifically because when my kids, when my kid used to go to bed, and Paw Patrol on a roll is just a side-scrolling game where you collect pup treats. Uh, my kid would miss every single one. And when he'd go to bed, I'd just be like, I need to play this one level and just collect all the pup sheets. And nothing happens. You get a reward, but like you can't die. Nothing can happen. It just becomes this this OCD thing where I just need to get every pup treat because my kid has no idea to go get every pup treat. So that's why that question was asked. Um, I, well, I remember the question I wanted to ask. You were a game tester, which I think when you're growing up, everyone dreams to be a game tester. And then you read the stories. I personally, I saw the movie Grandma's Boy. Not sure if you saw it, where it's also the life of a game tester. And it's a terrible comedy I've not had, movie. Yeah, I'll have to pass it over. Yeah, it is a really raunchy, terrible comedy movie with, okay. from Adam Sandler's company. But um, what was? Can you tell us the story of your best experience and worst experience? You don't need to name games, but, oh. but if you want to, you can. If you want, to throw throw some. Uh, I think. Maybe the best and kind of worst experience are tied into one. So um, I was, I, I, I think every game I tested, you know, I'll, I'll say the same thing. I was, I just felt really lucky, obviously getting the credit, getting the kind of actual copy of the game as well. Um, so an experience to kind of always remember is, I was actually testing um, Getaway Black Monday, which is kind of like, you know, um, a sequel to the Getaway uh, on, on PlayStation 2. And I was kind of, working on site with the developers. So I think I obviously kind of got a bit of experience there, seeing what a producer is, seeing what an artist does, seeing what a coder does. And obviously hearing the groans as I'm maybe entering in bugs, you know, real time, or, you know, that kind of thing. So I remember as kind of just testing away and an objective of kind of any game development, one of the milestones is the first time you can play through the game. I guess hundred percent or play through it. And I'm just doing my job, playing away. And then I kind of turn around and there's an audience. So <laughs> and obviously at the time it was kind of the, the likes of I think Phil Harrison was there. He's in the studio. There was obviously a lot of the kind of development team. And I'm kind of, you know, feel small and sports and kind of playing it and doing my best to kind of avoid all the kind of crashes and pitfalls and I got quite close to the end and I jumped into a taxi, then I remembered it, it's not a great, good thing to do. And I think it crashed, and then there was, oh. Um, but yeah, it was good in the sense that, like, you know, I was maybe part of that game, game's history, which I, it's something I couldn't really dream of as a first game to kind of um, be involved with. Massively lucky. Um, but obviously at the same time, you know, just feeling the pressure, feeling everyone else kind of having those kind of work and long nights and then seeing things. Um, but yeah, that, that's one that stood out for me. Being a that's, that's an awesome way to get visibility into the industry itself, right? You start understanding what all these roles are. And then this gives you this kind of idea of people who are in the esports leagues. Oh my God, everyone watching them, like pressure on. Like, yeah. It's funny how that happens, huh? Definitely. And I think, you know, that that's something that obviously it's, it's maybe a completely different kind of side of the coin in terms of the stuff I look at now. But when I look at kind of, say, streamers, um, competitive gamers, it's a completely different kind of mental, mentality. Obviously, you're having to kind of express your skills, show your kind of ability and your own stamp, but also commentate on that i mean it's something i'd probably struggle with doing two things at once it's definitely 
you know, I really admire people that can kind of do that. You know, with, with cool titles like Bluey, which is popular, right? You have Paw Patrol, you have new ones coming out as well. There's a lot of cool technologies that are on the horizon, things like Web3, which obviously nowhere near with you guys, right? But like, does your mind take a look at these types of technologies for kind of what are the next levels for game design? How can we implement things like this? What's of interest? And how do you keep yourself up to date on that type of stuff? Yeah, good question. I think for me, I as a designer, it's really important to kind of stay current. But obviously, you have to kind of look at things through the lens of maybe if, if you kind of employ it, it's what you're working on. But I think consuming the kind of media that's out there, obviously kind of looking at, you know, reading stories, looking at content, uh, staying current is really kind of important, but it's, it's maybe kind of not overwhelming yourself because it is quite, it's very difficult to predict certain trends, obviously in the games industry or, or where maybe things will go. But I think just having like an awareness and having a kind of, you know, a bit of an understanding is never a bad thing, really. But yeah, it's something I would maybe advise a lot of people to do is, you know, maybe pick up a game you wouldn't normally play or a favorite game and then maybe think about how you would kind of change that or why it was put together, question things. Yeah, it's, as I say, I I feel that kind of, you know, it's maybe impossible to kind of keep up with everything that's out there mm-hmm. and different trends. But yeah, it's, <laughs> it's an ever-changing industry. So in the same kind of light, right, you you mentioned earlier, well, on our pre-call, right, how you would let your, your children play the games and notice kind of what they're playing in the games. And then in a similar way, rather than it being you, since it's a game made for kids, you kind of built on that so can you kind of tell maybe that story story we talked about the trampoline right but absolutely yeah so i mean the i guess the benefit um maybe obviously something being a designer when i first started and not being a dad as i kind of mentioned them now now a dad to three i think being able to kind of draw from your own family's experience what they're kind of um playing for example and their kind of mindset it's absolutely invaluable and again children are very honest about kind of what they see and they'll they'll question why and then sometimes i think as you know maybe you don't always have the answers which i think is is something i've kind of discovered and i think my daughter through playing bluey she saw a trampoline and it's just like straight away you know obvious thing you want, want to b- bounce on the trampoline but I think it's the level in which you can kind of have that interaction and, you know, I guess looking at lots of different kind of, you know, children playing and, and what the kind of expectations are there and how they play. Um, and as I say, obviously, I think there's certain commonalities with children that they'll kind of, you know, they'll enjoy certain repetition maybe that, maybe older players won't um obviously lots of reward and encouragement but yeah it's it's incredibly kind of invaluable having that insight and i'm still kind of <laughs> just just in awe of what what children love doing certainly with paw patrol it's like they want the favorite pup they want to kind of you know um explore mm-hmm. and collect and create their own kind of fun essentially so yeah it's fun to pick up on, on trends like that and not trends, just even just picking up on the nuances that kids have, because again, just going back to my, my son, right? We, he, wa- he wanted to try pal world the other day with me. So we kind of started playing pal world and, and, you know, there's just little things like you have to be able to read what ingredients you need to craft together to do this. There's a lot of buttons to press. And I was thinking about kind of Paw Patrol, right? And I'm sorry to keep going back to that one. He plays Bluey too, but like, you know, the, the fact that there is no reading, it's very clear on the buttons to press, like accessibility just screams. And I don't think, and I know we talked about this already, but like, I don't think people really understand, like, that truly is building accessibility for games that, for kids because they can't read. And and you were telling me about kind of how, how Lego transitioned from kind of text to actually speech in the game and, and how it's fascinating to see how kids pick up on this because he couldn't do anything in power. Well, he did, but like it's not the full game. Whereas looking at some of the new games that are coming out from outright, like this is a great introduction to the open world experience without having to read it. And do you guys recognize these cues right out the gate? Like 
noticing that, hey, kids won't be able to do this? Or do you actually have play testing with the kids or your children, right? Where you say, hey, yeah. you're not understanding to do this. How do we make this more obvious? I, I think it's it's a bit of both, really. So um, obviously, play testing is absolutely key, but obviously done in a way in which it'll be a, a certain stage of the title. So there'll be something we'll be specifically kind of asking or, you know, directing and we'll maybe have assumptions ourselves of how people find things but you know it it maybe it's kind of you know it will be in a place where we'd think it is but i think sometimes if a, if children do play it and then it's maybe a different pivot or we, we will follow what the players kind of you know expect from the game and what their kind of experience is i, I think yeah accessibility you know is it's a very broad topic and i think making a game kind of accessible to me is certainly kind of not having prior assumptions which is sometimes quite difficult it's incredibly difficult actually to kind of think well this could be the first time a child ever held a controller and i see that as like a a big responsibility really because you know you you don't want someone to kind of have an experience that's maybe too challenging or things haven't been clearly explained so I think in blue we've obviously had simple on-screen instructions, which are then kind of repeated and reinforced. Um, having full voiceover as well, it, it's something that can kind of like, you know, get most players. But obviously, then you know we have to kind of think that maybe there also needs to be further reinforcement with the visual aids, with kind of you know the way things are set up, and obviously reinforcing when players do achieve something, you know, having that kind of, you know, speech and having the, that visual feedback to go, you, you've done amazing. Because again, I think the onboarding for games, it really is something that, again, I've, I've, I, I try to kind of constantly look at that. It, it could be the first time someone's played. Um, but I think having as many options and ways that kind of, players obviously can pick things up and just having that kind of um i guess assumption in mind that they won't have kind of um had someone maybe to help them as well um and it does it really it does it's a it's a big challenge and a a big responsibility but i think when you do see games resonate well with children and families I, i don't think there's anything like it in the world you know hearing that kind of that laughter that excitement, that sense of achievement. Yeah, it's it's definitely what I keep kind of pushing for and aspiring to see. Yeah, it's fantastic. I, I agree with you. And just seeing my kids happy playing games, right? It excites me because I remember that feeling like you were mentioning earlier when we were younger and the more people that could experience, the more people want to play more games, the better for the entire industry. It's, uh, it's good games to be playing when there's a whole bunch of games that are not safe for kids out there in the internet. So definitely. it's a fantastic place to be. Um, more questions about a game designer. If you are, I guess this isn't a straightforward question, but like, where do you, where would you like to go next? What, where, what's the natural progression for a game designer? What's that next step? Is it a principle? Is it something else? Yeah, it, it's, it's a really interesting question. And I think the way I kind of see it, I think for anyone to be in a space re- really where obviously, as a designer, the kind of crafting experiences that they enjoy, I would say as well, trying to kind of push yourself in terms of picking up those new skills, crafting those experiences, you'll never kind of go wrong. I think it is kind of, a lot of it does come down to the individual. I think when I kind of heard about obviously having a you know principal design as it is essentially an equivalent to kind of a, a lead position in a lot of companies. And I think it just allows players who really have oh, sorry, players, um, designers who have mastered their craft essentially to be given kind of like that that space to continue to create to continue to kind of like refine the skills in a specialized area i count myself as very lucky really because in my career of kind of being in most of the different branches of design so level design game design um system design obviously there's different design that you know accessibility design we we kind of look at user experience design as well and again i think it's just it's about finding what you kind of what interests you and i guess obviously what you're good at as well 
fascinating. I mean, just talking about the different roles in design, I, I, to be honest, I never really thought that deep into it. I'm thinking like these indie studios that just have one or two people that, that handle yes. all these roles. Yeah, and I think that's the thing as well. You know, if you look at kind of a lot of indie developers, it could be a case of, you know, your CEO, essentially, you'll be the producer, you'll kind of be a designer as well. And I think maybe there isn't necessarily a defined role there. And I would say, I think sometimes, certainly not in my experience, but I think a designer does look to kind of other disciplines as well. It looks at other kind of people for the idea. And I think maybe it's it's a bit of a you know misconception sometimes that a designer always has to come up with the best ideas or has to be this person where it's just like, well, have an answer for everything. I don't necessarily think that is the case. I think you kind of, you you ask questions, you see what what the what idea is the best fit and it might not necessarily be one that you've kind of come up with but it will be the one that kind of fits fits the game or the task at hand so is there a typical type of game that you play that you you draw inspiration from or is it all just different types of games i think it, it again it's an interesting question because like i think a lot of kind of a lot of games obviously will take elements from different genres, from different games, from different mediums as well. So, you know, I've I've seen games um, or I've worked on games where obviously if it's based on an IP, you kind of look towards that IP and like, well, maybe there's a moment in the TV show or the film or wherever. It's like, well, how do you represent that within the game? What games have maybe done something similar? And I think that's why it's important as a designer to kind of play as much as you can and if not, kind of look to play if you've got a certain problem. Um, because I think it is, you know, it is important to kind of look look from other sources and get the inspiration that way. Um, and again, it won't be the, exactly the same situation for, for each game. But I think having almost kind of a library and and I think as you kind of gain experience as well, you can kind of think, well, on this game, this is how I tackled this problem. Yeah, it's 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 just really important to kind of essentially keep an open mind with, with certain you know approaches that you might have to different issues. How do you? I mean, and maybe this isn't an issue for you, but how do you combat things like gaming fatigue? Right, mm. like you work all day building a game, you go home, you play a game, and rinse and repeat, rinse and repeat. What do you do to disconnect? What, what I guess, what would be your hobbies outside of that? Yeah, I think again, it's a great question. I think it can differ for everyone. I think obviously one of the things that if you are kind of in any industry in any kind of job. It, it can be kind of difficult to kind of have a a clear stop point because you might kind of I don't know for me I might be walking a dog and think oh you know this is this is something that can kind of put pen to paper and everything like that I think setting boundaries is really important it's important to try your best to kind of think well you know I I, I can look at this in in terms of this and I think a lot of people maybe say if you're working from home it might be to have a separate space where you you kind of that's your work area and then if you do game you know as a, as a casual thing it could be somewhere else um but yeah it is different for everyone i think for me obviously I, you know in terms of hobbies i, I do <laughs> i do find that i play a lot of games as well i think naturally um but there is kind of yeah, it, it can be a challenge. Certainly, if you spoke to my wife, she'd be like, oh, you know, <laughs> you're watching this film and you're thinking about, oh, well, how have you done this here? Or how how could we maybe kind of, you know, put something like this in the game? Yeah, it, I think it's just being mindful of it and just taking time to kind of relax outside of the, the, that kind of space, essentially. As someone like myself who's disorganized, when you have a lot going on with all the different roles that you're helping with, right? How, how do you keep yourself organized? Do you have a tip or trick, or do you use a specific Ooh. app? Yeah, I think I think that's a great question. I think I I find it amazing that you can kind. Of, well, from my perspective, I've loved working with different designers who might go, "This has worked for me," or "This might have worked for me." And I think having a notepad is actually one of the foundations that I remember when I first started. That was one of the the key moments where it's like, okay, 
a door, literally a door is open. Do you want to work on this level? And it's just like, okay, I've got a notepad in hand and being able to read my own handwriting afterwards is a challenge because I'm a bit, yeah. you know, like chicken skull. But I think it's it's trying to find like a, a method, you know, that, that works again for the individual. So something that maybe works for me is having a kind of, checking things off like you know i think i think again maybe maybe treating it as a game so it's like well what do you want to set out to do today maybe there's a list of three five things six things or whatever taking that thing off i think naturally oh okay i've I've done this what can i do now you know that's that's a good motivation um but i think for other people it, it could be a case of well everything is is fairly regimented yeah. i'm not one of those people either so you know it's finding what works for them really it's funny i remember i was my first job was a customer support agent and every day we would kind of compete internally like who can close the most tickets and at the end of the day when you can look <laughs> at a number be like i closed 50 tickets today you're like that was a good day and then all of a sudden you get promoted to a, a position where you're not closing tickets and you start to think to yourself what did i do today like how do i accomplish this i, I love the idea of checklists right because like mm. it gives you that motivation to say all right what did i accomplish today because sometimes projects are big right creating a game doesn't happen in a single day but if you can do one two or three i think visually seeing that i did this today i did this today is so self-satisfying I don't know if yes a word. like you need that to help kind of understand that there is movement because sometimes there's movement in an ocean that just isn't moving definitely and i think you know going back to actually when i was a tester and i think it kind of never ends what i mean by that is like obviously i'm still a tester in terms in the fact that you know well i'm i'm checking work i'm checking kind of obviously the design elements of things but i think setting maybe personal challenges like micro challenges i think is is a great way to kind of um keep that kind of motivation but also having kind of a, a target in mind so I think when I was testing, it's like, okay, you might boot up a game. How do I break this game? And it's not like you're attacking the people that are developing it. You're thinking, well, this is going to make that title more robust. I'm going to, I'm going to find, I'm going to be able to jump over that wall. I'm going to be able to kind of, you know, get a high score, reverse back, whatever it may be. I think it is a, it's a great way to kind of like, you know, have a motivation, have kind of a target. But yeah, as you say, every day can be different in a, in a lot of jobs. Yeah, for sure. When, I guess my question is, do you have a piece of technology that you kind of live by need in your life? Yes, it's a, it's a good question. Your mobile I, yeah. phone, because everyone will have a mobile phone. Yeah, I mean, you know, it could be argued I'm probably on that too much. <laughs> um, I, I think for me, it's, it's, it's trying to kind of think of, you know, ways that you kind of certainly in a professional environment i think for me it's how you kind of maybe convey feedback or and and there's fantastic tools for that now you know one of the things um that i absolutely i mean it's photoshop you know i i think that there's so much you can do with photoshop that isn't just net maybe people have an idea in the head that oh photoshop you're touching an image up or whatever it's like well no it's it's the process of how you can kind of have an image set layers to it put text on there convey ideas you can do so much with it um i'm don't work for adobe there's other software titles available as well um but something like that i think you know i had a hesitancy and you know, happy to kind of share this. When I started in the games industry, I was a tester, right? So I was essentially, well, it was essentially the way I saw it in ways, it was me versus a game. It's like, well, I need to observe everything, report it, but also find ways that, you know, pressure points to break it. When I became a designer, it was a different prospect. It was kind of, there was a problem solving element, but also there was kind of like, certainly a creativity element. Being able to convey an idea, I wasn't the best drawer. And I think I was quite self-conscious about that because I had an expectation that designers should be amazing illustrators, amazing drawers, you know, and, um, but I found that that I think the ideas were there, but I think it was trying to convey it in a way. And and for me, it was trying, it was learning Photoshop. It was learning, well, you can, it doesn't necessarily have to be a masterpiece, but it, as long as it's kind of clear to someone reading the design or or viewing it in a visual way, 
but yeah, probably that. I, I, I do use that quite a lot. I just got access to our company's Adobe license, so I just oh, yeah. downloaded Photoshop, and I'm afraid to jump into it. It just seems very intimidating of, of a tool. That and uh, Premiere Pro, they all seem... Oh, yeah. <laughs> but uh, it's funny, you know, it's funny. You, everyone always says game designer. It's funny to hear you talk. It's refreshing that, like, I wasn't confident in my illustration skills, right? Yes. And, and, like, all you got to do is get the point across, right? That's, like... We always say you just need the MVP, like get something viable out there that people could understand and wrap their head around it. And that's good enough. But sometimes you put your own expectations on yourself where it ends up almost like crushing you internally. But definitely. And I I think, you know, I've done a, you know, I I did a talk last year, actually. And I think it it was the kind of people looking to get into the games industry. And I, I shared that because I think it is important that you know that you don't have to kind of have perfection in every single area. You don't have to kind of, you know, almost be the finished article with things. I think naturally I'm still learning every day. You know, I, don't, I, don't, I have no problem saying that. I, I think that you learn off others. You learn from kind of obviously medium that's out there. But I think it is, it's very important to kind of take time aside and, you know, realize that I think, the world doesn't always see yourself in the same way that you can see yourself sometimes. And I think just because I wanted to be a designer so much, I had this level of pressure on myself. Um, and I wanted to kind of, wanted every idea to be amazing. And I wanted every design to be, you know, well-breaking. Yeah. And, you know, I, I think the other point I would make as a design, and maybe, you know, for the audience, it might kind of help a little, is a design isn't always kind of like Hollywood spectacular necessarily. It's, and by that, I mean that a design, it's it essentially, it's to either solve a problem or to kind of fulfill the needs of, of the pillars of the game or the brief. And a lot of the time it could, it could be a menu. It could be kind of like a button prompt. It could be, you know, character movement. And, these elements of the game are massively important, but maybe unsung sometimes. And and I think sometimes the solutions that you can come to kind of resolve issues in the game, they can be the simplest one on the paper. It, it, you know, I'm, I'm certainly guilty of maybe sometimes over-engineering a solution or thinking, well, you know, the system needs to be this robust, it needs to do that. And it's like, well, actually, you know, it just maybe it's just a case of, um the first idea you have the simplest one um and 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 it's realizing that that people might not actually notice what you put in the game but without it being there the game wouldn't be the same so yeah dan first off i really want to thank you again for coming in i know i said this time and time and time again but you really helped my kids get into gaming though all the the starting with outright games tt games and and i'm excited about this next generation of kids getting into gaming and again it's it's this safe zone. I know they're playing these games and they're not going to be exposed to, to other people yet. Um, and, and it's just fantastic and accessible for all kids. And I appreciate that. Before we go, there's a large number of people out there today that are looking for their next opportunities in, in gaming. And people are looking into roles like designer. Uh, any advice you would give someone looking for their next role? Um, yeah. Yeah. You know, um, I think, again, obviously, every journey is different there's loads of different routes kind of into the games industry but i think a few points for me would be try to maintain positivity belief and drive in yourself and realize that kind of there might be skills that you gain in other industries or kind of other pursuits that you may make in life they can be relevant to kind of the games industry in loads of different kind of ways and disciplines and there's lots of different kind of resources out there as well but i would say keep creating keep looking to kind of problem solve and see how this might kind of apply to a design role as well. And and think about obviously looking at games that are out there, one of your favorite games or maybe a, a game that has interested you and then try to break it down, try to think about how it's made, why the decisions are made in it, you know, and see if you can then compare your thoughts to maybe the person that made it or maybe other people's views about it. I think that will kind of give you an understanding into kind of uh, games as well. And maybe maybe it's a bit cheesy to end on as well, but it is never too late to make it. You know, have fun. That's what it's all about. That's actually Judge Judy. <laughs> quote of that. Judge Judy. Yeah, I use that because I think it is important that, you know, your path 
in life and in the games industry, you know, it might be different, it might look different, but, you know, there are kind of opportunities and there, there is kind of, you know, an, an industry that, you know, obviously there's changes, there's things that kind of um, will maintain the same, there's things that will kind of be completely different in the next few years, but it's important to kind of, you know, just maintain that belief and work hard. Yeah. On that note, is there any resources that you use, whether it be Reddit, LinkedIn, Slack groups, Discord groups, that you personally kind of connect with others in the industry, or is it kind of just... Personally, I found LinkedIn invaluable. I I kind of, obviously, you know, myself, um, you know, I, I can see a lot of kind of people in the industry kind of sharing their skills, kind of experiences, um yeah it, it's a great resource to kind of network it's a great resource to kind of you know see what's out and about in terms of your own industries and it can never hurt to kind of maintain a profile there i think you know there's there's a lot of things like you know i will cook on videos and podcasts such as this you know seeing other people's views and experiences um yeah i think it's just there, there is a lot of free information out there and I think, you know, you can't be just getting something tangible there and working on it and creating it, be it kind of a document, a design, you know, a drawing or, or you know, even, even a video. You know, there's there's lots of different ways to kind of create and share with the world now. Awesome. Well, Dan, again, thank you so much for coming out and taking the time. Is there anything else you want to share about yourself or Outright Games or anything in general? Well, as I say, you know, I'm incredibly biased, but... Um, you know, working at Outright Games, I'm I'm incredibly happy to kind of build on family-friendly experiences, working with these fantastic IPs and brands, you know, really kind of um, being focused on that kind of preschool audience. And I, I would say that certainly every game that I've kind of, you know, looked at, I would be really happy for kind of children to kind of experience, my own family included. And yeah, you know, it's, I think, just any anyone out there that kind of does feel that you know they they want to kind of be involved in the industry you know just don't don't give up really you know that the, the could well be a path in there. awesome thank you dan and thank you everyone for listening um thanks for jumping down today again dan i appreciate your time and i hope you have a great rest of your day thanks Greg. cheers